Craig Balanos is the co-founder and CEO of Wealth Management Group and regularly joins us on WGN Radio. Craig, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, John, I'm doing good. I mean, the economic data continues to come in hot when it comes to CPI and PPI, but boy, that retail sales disappointed. So I don't know. I'm kind of feeling mixed on a Friday afternoon, to be sincere. <laughs> well, uh, to be honest with you, when I set this conversation up, I said, what happened this week and are we going to get the money back in the markets? But maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention. Did we recoup the losses from Tuesday on the indexes? Well, you know what we did, we're giving a little bit back. I mean, if you take a look just, you know, over the last five days, you know, the S&P contract was trading around 5,046. We had that ginormous drop that you alluded to on Tuesday. We're still hanging back above 5,000. So it's not all bad. You know, at the end of the day, it's a mixed bag. We go into 2024 not knowing if the glass is half full or half empty, but this market, especially the big seven, the magnificent seven, they're remaining resilient. Yeah, but it's not just them. I thought that there was a little broader base to what the markets have been doing. Well, the market has been broadening out. In fact, I would argue if we take a look at something I've talked with you before about on numerous occasions, that S&P 500 cap-weighted indices versus the S&P 500 equal weight, we're seeing the gap between the two of those shrink, which indicates that some of these small to mid-cap stocks have been broadening over the last several weeks. That's normally something that's healthy that we want to see. But as we loaded up this conversation, you were saying something about spending. What was that all about? Well, you know what? We just had some ugly data this morning. I mean, you take a look. Last week we had the jobs data. It looks like everybody in America was given a job. That jobs data was hot. Then we got the CPI. The CPI was too hot. Then we got retail sales. And that retail sales number showed that the consumer softened tremendously. I mean, we had the worst retail sales number we've had since March of last year. And what you and I were talking about in March of last year was bank failure. So that's certainly not a good sign. I wonder if the consumer's money tree finally ran out of dropping leaves or wait, I meant dollar bills. What does that mean to inflation then? Well, you know, if the consumer ends up spending less money, that in and of itself is going to be a deflationary investment. So all these things tend to kind of counterbalance what I'm encouraging everybody to do this year when it comes to their investing outlook is just get back to basics. I mean, after a big recovery year in markets that was narrowly led with large cap growth, the magnificent seven technology, I just want to make sure people are rebalancing their portfolio more to an equal weight value stocks and growth stocks. And don't forget, bonds still have the highest starting yields they've had in years. They deserve a place in people's asset allocation. But I wonder what that means to the Fed then. That is, if this is um, something that's going to cool inflation, consumer spending less money, what do you think that means to the Fed this year? Well, clearly the chances of rate cuts in March, they are completely gone. I would argue a rate cut in February after the CPI data and the PPI data both showed inflation. It showed that this inflation, ugh, John, 
I, I hope inflation's not resilient to the upside, but I think what this does is it makes the chances of a rate cut in the month of May, it's basically one out of three. There's only a one out of three chance rate cut. That's indicative based on how the bond market is trading. I still think we're going to have some rate cuts by the end of the year. That's usually accommodative for asset prices. It's going to be good for a lot of people, but the expectations are certainly pushed further out. Rate cuts at the end of the year. I need six rate cuts this year, my friend. Six? Wait. You know what? I thought you were in the camp who wanted seven, John. We talked <laughs> well, about I that. was, to be honest no, with you, but I'll settle for worried. six. <laughs> I don't think we're going to get six. I've been very clear as you and I talked even last month in January. I never thought that we were going to have seven. Didn't think we were going to get six. At best, I'm in the camp of at best three to four. I think that's more realistic. And the only thing that's good, if there is a silver lining here, is I think we've begun to narrow the gap now between unrealistic market expectations for rate cuts and what we're more likely to get, that's a good place for investors to be just in Valentine's Day week. Craig, I wanted to go back for just a minute with you. If the if consumers are spending less money, that's anti-inflationary, right? And if the Fed is hell-bent to get us closer to two-something, the inflation index, then I thought this was going to be helping them along the way. Uh, and, and I was hoping that you were going to call then for or be more optimistic about rate cuts. Why, why, isn't, why doesn't it work that way, Craig? Well, you know what? The core of what you're saying is true. The fight is, still is, and has been and remains a fight against inflation. And consumers who spend less money are disinflationary. So, yes, that should excite the Federal Reserve. But again, John, we're living still in Goldilocks. We are still living in a soft landing. We have fantastic employment data reasonable consumer spending, corporations who have been able to thread the needle to hit their profit targets, and we just don't want to have something bad happen. And if you say what's bad that could happen, if the consumer spending really dries up all of a sudden, then the only way for corporations to hit their profit targets is to increase the layoffs, those reductions in force. And we all know if you increase the layoffs too much, it eventually leads to those recessionary pressures. Yeah, but you didn't talk about inflation there. I mean, that's that's what's been driving the Fed all along. That's what we've been talking about for two years. No, we, we have. And I do think, you know, I think the bottom line is this. I think it's going to take more than one hot CPI, which is inflation report, more than one hot PPI inflation report to derail the momentum that is still in this market. Yes, Tuesday might have been terrible Tuesday, but the truth is the market's within one half of one percent of its 52 week high. So all we've done is create a warning shot across the bow for overly bullish investors that, hey, sticky inflation, maybe some suddenly soft retail sales, it just means that the market's priced a bit for perfection. And as a result of knowing that, people should be investing responsibly. My view still is that inflation does continue to decline throughout 2024, so long as we don't have a big fear premium and a spike in oil if there's some trouble in the Middle East or the Red Sea.
Okay. So having said that, then where does the smart money go now? Are you are you not bullish on retail stocks or that sector? Where Where do you like money now? I think we have to express that we know the consumer is going to slow this year. Everyone's repaying their student loans. Credit cards have a 15.6% higher average daily balance than they did a year ago. And all of the COVID area and stimulus money is gone. So if consumers are going to slow down, I don't get overly excited about consumer discretionary stocks. But I think there's clearly room for continued momentum in health care. I think there's room for continued momentum in defense. And I do believe, even though the Magnificent Seven might seem a little bit long in the tooth, we have to accept the fact that those companies, if the AI boom continues, which I think it is, they're going to continue to power ahead. So that's three areas, three sectors of the market that investors can continue to feel confident in. I'm seeing so many stories how um, the car manufacturers were more bullish on EVs than car buyers. And while there's plenty of EVs out there, that in fact the the market for electric vehicles is going to cool a little, infrastructure being one of the reasons. I don't know how you feel about that or what that means for investments. Well, I think the infrastructure is a very, very big deal. I mean, ever since that you know, Wall Street Journal article ran in the spring or summer of last year when the two journalists tried to go from D.C. to California and back. They had trouble. That points to the infrastructure. And the other concern is the cost, right? There was a definitive cost premium for the EV vehicles. I mean, everybody, nothing's wrong with having a hybrid. I think plug-in hybrids are great. I just don't know that the market, meaning the consumer, is fully ready to adopt and pay that higher premium, even though there were some tax credits and incentives. So, yeah, I think maybe some manufacturers overplayed the demand that was going to be there. But longer term, I think that's still the direction people are heading. I think um, car manufacturers still aren't producing as I'm going out over my skis here, but I've been to a couple of dealerships lately, and it seems to me like they don't have the inventory they want, either the right kind of vehicles or the number of vehicles. What do you what do you know or think about just car stocks in general? Well, you know what I can talk to you about? Having two kids, getting them both out of college, graduate school and undergrad, guess what? They need vehicles. And I can tell you this, gone are the days when you had a wide selection of vehicles, makes, models, colors, options. No, we're not there. But if you ask me, is my most recent experience at multiple car dealerships that they actually have cars on the lot and I don't necessarily have to pay MSRP plus anymore, I can say emphatically yes to both of those. So we're not where I want to see us in terms of consumer choice, but there's certainly a definitive improvement. Talk to me about treasuries, two-year, 10-year, 30-year yields ended slightly lower uh, on the day yesterday. But, um, in fact, they're up this year. Um, What do you think about them? And talk to me about the investment opportunities they represent. Well, I think I talk about it in two ways. One, what am I paying attention to? Just as there's a line in the sand, I don't want to see crude oil trading in the mid-'80s. I don't want to see the 10-year Treasury yield going above 4.4%. If that happens, a whole lot of things change investment-wise. 
But what I think investors can do in terms of the opportunity, I think that's so key, John, is to give people a sincere and actionable idea. I think people can look at six-month Treasury yields at 5.3. They can look at two-year Treasuries at 4.6 and say, you know what? If I've made a lot of money in the stock market recovery of 2023, maybe when I rebalance, take some stocks to get some profits off the table, locking in some money for five-plus percent yields for a period of time, that's not a terrible thing to do. And Treasury bills have their place for a storage of capital. It's not going to create wealth, but Treasuries definitely help store wealth. I think 5%, 6% on some CDs sounds like creating wealth to people compared to what we saw before the pandemic. I mean, it was 0.1% on some of these products. So that's that's not bad. So you say if you're taking money out of stocks, this is a good time for that. It's a good time. And, to, and let's be sincere. The yields have gone up as we've seen these two inflationary reports come up. So I think today, specifically, right now, is a great time for people to be slowly buying some treasuries, maybe consider taking advantage of slowly lengthening the duration of some of their fixed income based on the anticipation that the Fed is going to lower rates, maybe not six times, John, but we might get a couple of rate cuts later this year. So, yes, the bond market is poised, I think, to do well going forward. Two. You think these are two. I've heard a lot more than two, Craig. Well, you know what? At the end of the day, I think about normal. You know, John, everyone complains about how high the interest rates are, but you and I have talked about this before. I think we just stay normal for longer. I mean, all through the 90s, through the 2000s, in that first decade, I mean, I remember having 3 to 4% savings accounts, 45 to 5.5% CDs, right. Right. Sure. you know, treasury sure. yields like they are today. So I view this as a relatively normal environment. It just feels abnormal after spending 15 years basically at zero, as you indicated. I guess if we get our head around how anomalous 3% is, then maybe we will begin to understand and, and start to sell those houses or move out of those houses with those low mortgages and go back into the 6% mortgage world uh, because it's, uh, there's quite a difference between where some of those notes are right now uh, and, and where they would be were you to refinance them or, or sell those homes and, and get new mortgages. So um, I, I take your point on that, Craig. Craig Bolanos, co-founder, CEO, Wealth Management Group. Invest with WMG.com is his website. Craig, nice to talk to you today. Thanks for your help. Great to be with you, John. Let's talk a little bit about Black History Month in Chicago and find ways to celebrate it. As always, Roz, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, John. Thrilled to be with you all this afternoon. I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, talk a little bit about Black History Month in general, and then let's talk about what Chicago has to offer. You bet. Well, Black history is such an intricate part of Chicago's history. I mean, we have incredible wealth of civil rights and communities leaders like Ida B. Wells, Fred Hampton, Mamie Teal, to even current and living legends like Jackie Taylor of the Black Ensemble Theater, 
Reverend Jesse Jackson or Dillo or yesterday I was just in the community in Roseland speaking with Mr. Bullock and his team over at Old Fashioned Donuts. If you have not had them, you need to get them because they are amazing. So Black History Month is so, so critical to Chicago's history. Not only yeah. this month, but all year long. Well, I'm, I'm, that's another thing I want to talk to you about. But, you know, you dropped some names there, and some of them are more familiar than others to us. Um, tell me a story or remind me of somebody who isn't Jesse Jackson or Jesse Jackson Jr., but tell me about somebody who we should know about more and don't in Chicago. Yeah, I think I'll start with the last thing that I dropped, and I'm so grateful that you asked that because I want to say that's been such a great privilege for me to continue to get out in my community and learn more about the wealth of history and legends that are are here in Chicago. And that includes Mr. Bullock. He is an 85-year-old man who is the owner of the Old Fashioned Donuts in Roseland, and he still, believe it or not, gets up every day and works and makes the donuts there. And people travel near and far to have those donuts, and they are incredible. So he's definitely someone to check out. And there's so many others. I mean, we have living legends across industry and across sectors throughout the city of Chicago. And I'd encourage, we have a great um, blog and post and content on our website at choosechicago.com. I definitely encourage individuals to check out that website as well. I wonder where I would go. This isn't a walking tour necessarily, but I wonder what are some of the landmarks then of Chicago's black history? You bet. There's several. I mean, in Bronzeville, you have the Ida B. Wells sculpture that's there. Um, You also have Dilla does a phenomenal tour through the Chicago Mahogany Tours where he takes you all throughout the city landscape to visit different monuments. I mean, I remember I did his tour maybe now three years or so ago, and I was fascinated by so much information that's available through his tour that I had not experienced before. There's even monuments that he'll highlight that aren't very well known. Um, there's also in Pullman, you have the Asil Randolph Museum that is a great historical location to check out. It's the story of the Pullman Porters under the leadership of Dr. Lynn Hughes. It's a great location to check out and get more information as well. I'm reading from your site. The Black History Month tradition was established right here in Chicago in 1926 by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who is considered to be the father of black history. I wonder how he got that moniker. What did he do to promote black history? Yeah, back in the day, I'm still learning and definitely encouraged by his leadership in that area. I know there's much that he did back then, but super thrilled that, of course, he is considered the father of black history. That can, that tradition expanded from a one-week celebration to a month-long celebration and thrilled that we get to be a part of uh, and celebrate it even now, many, many years later. Black Restaurant Week continues, right? That's right. Black Restaurant Week kicked off this past Sunday, and it goes through February the 25th. There's 50-plus restaurants participating I had a chance to dine at one of the restaurants this week, Dawn Eatery, which is located in Hyde Park. Inspired Southern cuisine, really, really incredible um, there. But there's so many other great options, Luella Southern Kitchen. There's um, also 14 Parish. There's other great options. Chase's uh, Bistro, which is up in Avondale. It's a gluten-free restaurant. So a lot of different great options available. 
It says here you can visit Chicago's historic landmarks and monuments. You mentioned some of those, the Bronzeville Walk of Fame. Yes. I don't think I don't think I've been there before. There's the Victory Monument, Ida B. Wells, Marnet House, uh, the monument to Great Northern Mi- the Great Northern Migration. Any last um, highlights you want to feature there? Oh, my goodness. There's so many. It's hard to narrow it down, but I just say check it all out as much as possible today. And again, you know, make plans all year long. Visit ChooseChicago.com for more resources, more ideas, more inspiration. Yeah, there's definitely so much more to explore. Good to know. Okay, so Roz Stutley, again, the website, ChooseChicago.com. That's the main landing page. You want to direct us to anywhere else on the site or just ChooseChicago.com? Start there, ChooseChicago.com. Specifically, we have um, some content, How to Celebrate Black History Month in Chicago there. I think that's a great starting point. It covers additional categories, restaurants and bars, shopping ideas. If you're looking to treat yourself or treat someone else this month or beyond, there's some other great ideas there as well. There's art, theater, music, dance. Um, There's even cafes and bakeries and coffee recommendations that we offer i definitely start there as a starting point and then go from there. Roz, thanks for your time today. Have a great month. Thanks. You too, John. Have a great day. Bye-bye. More business news. Here's Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Technology distributor Newark Electronics is closing its Chicago office. Cranes reports the company has told its employees the closure will happen by the end of the year. Newark is part of Phoenix-based Avnet. The number of workers being laid off is about 200, according to the report. They work at 300 South Riverside Plaza. Newark says some employees will be transferred to other company locations. Employees were told the Chicago office is being closed to reduce cost as demand slows. Abnet sales were down 7.5% for the quarter that ended in December. A new president has been named at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Jisun Lee Isbara will replace Alyssa Tenney, who announced her retirement last year. Isbara will be the first minority woman to head the school. She's Korean-born and has been serving as provost of Otis College of Art and Design in Los Angeles. During a 16-year tenure at the college, she was a teacher and served in several leadership positions. I'm Steve Krasanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Got the business of food for you. Here's Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you. And let's say you moved here from Memphis and you want to bring some authentic southern black cooking you grew up with to the Windy City, but it cannot be barbecue or fried chicken. Because it's been done so many times. I was like, well, what's going to make mine so special? Who he is and what he came up with, it begins with a T. After I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today, there's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, Eldridge Williams moved here from Tennessee in 03, fell in love with the Chicago food scene, and after a few years working in it, I started to, you know, pretty much get that itch to open his own restaurant, and since he was from Tennessee, it was going to be an authentic Southern tamale restaurant yes the delta opened in 2017 okay but aren't tamales mexican yeah and let me tell you like steve i grew up eating tamales um and even then i had no idea the significance it had on southern culture but he did some digging when plantation owners ship in mexican laborers to work in the cotton fields that's how the african-americans the locals got introduced to tamales 
and they started to develop their own recipes. Tamales continue to be a big draw at the Delta in Wicker Park, but Eldridge has the itch again. Yes. This time, he and his business partner, Robert Johnson, are opening Red River Dicks. He says it'll be the first and only black-owned country western bar in the Midwest. Red River Dick is a nickname from a famous cowboy. Nate Love is considered the first documented cowboy and he is he was an african-american and red river dicks is being built out right now in lincoln park and it'll have old-time western touches we brought in a, a specialized woodworker who put together a beautiful beautiful bar when it's all finished it's going to look as if it was preserved from the 18th century and the food barbecue 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 and barbecue yeah, all with a nod to nate loves travels tennessee style barbecue texas style barbecue kansas city style barbecue black history coming alive this summer at red river dicks it's going to be good <laughs> on the food calendar today's national almond day national tartar sauce day national no one eats alone day i'm steve alexander that's the business of food on 720 wgn cindy bray is here the creator of wad free for bed sheets hi cindy you're on w GN, welcome to the show. Hello, and thank you for having me. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Okay, are you ready? You know when you're doing your laundry, you're doing your bed sheets, and they twist and they tangle and they ball up. So when that happens in the washing machine, that big coil, that mess, it doesn't come out very clean. And sometimes it even sends the whole washer off balance. Well, if you don't have that problem, I think most people are familiar with in the dryer, one sheet will wrap itself around everything (laughs) else in the load and then nothing inside dries. So you have to unravel the the big old wad of sheets in the dryer and run the machine again and again, which isn't just annoying, it's really wasteful because the dryer is one of the least efficient appliances in the household. And since there has never been a solution to this problem that so many people have when they wash and dry their sheets, I invented one, and it is called, yes, Wad Free for Bed Sheets. Are you an entrepreneur? Are you a mechanical engineer? Are you, I mean, what made you think you could solve this? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I tasked myself with solving this, and no, I have no background in engineering or manufacturing, none of it. But I taught myself everything in order to do the entire process on my own and launch the product. So, yes, I'm an inventor and an entrepreneur of Watfrey. You were on Shark Tank, right? I was on Shark Tank, yes. How'd that go? Oh, that was fantastic. Did you see the episode? It was really, it was an epic shark fight between a couple of the sharks. They were beating each other down, and I ultimately did take a deal, and the deal closed with Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful. How much money? I mean, it was on TV. What did they say? Oh, at at that time, so it was, let's see, season 13, Episode five. So we're talking 2001 is when it aired. And at that time, um, let's see, I had over half a million dollars in sales. And keep in mind, this is just me. It's all online. Well, and and I had just launched the company, too. Um, And at that time, I believe the investment was $200,000 for 5% equity in my company. 
5%. I would make that deal. <laughs> um, so, so how does it work then? It's a device where I pinch the corners of the sheet in. Is that right? Uh, sort of, yes. So each package of wad-free for bed sheets contains two, which is enough for two sheets, flat or fitted. They are reusable and made here in the United States. What you do is you sort of... Um, you clip the quarters of the sheets into the four tabs. It's made out of a special material that's custom compounded just for wad-free. And it contains the sheet in both the washing machine and the dryer. You wash it. They don't coil up. It won't send the washer off balance. And then in the dryer, the sheets stay separate. They dry in one cycle up to 75% faster, and they have fewer wrinkles, if that matters to you. So right. it saves so much time, money, and energy every time you wash your sheets. And I also launched a, a new product, a larger product, called Wad Free for Blankets and Duvet Covers, designed for those larger, thicker, heavier items. We have when we wash sheets and blankets, womp, 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 womp. That's uh -huh. That's and that's just the washer, and then the dryer. I've I've pulled a wad. It's it's so true. A round wad of wet sheet <laughs> out from a dry a dryer sheet on the outside. Oh, um, you need a wad free. This will solve <laughs> your problems. Well, how is business then? So, how are sales? How does your business do? Oh, it's fantastic. It has been written up in a lot of um, really prestigious magazines like the Good Housekeeping Institute. They tested it in their cleaning lab. They called it genius. It's been on the Today Show, Reader's Digest, Southern Living, I mean, on and on. And it, it, it truly is a game changer. That's the number one response is game so changer. People, followed people, by, I, I presume people just click online and order it that way? Yes, so the best place to order from my small business is my website, which is wadfree.com, and it is also on Amazon. Any You'll other the best products? Deals shopping direct from me, though. Yeah, well, you would prefer they shop direct from you? Oh, of course. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, because if you go through Amazon, do they get a percent? It's better if they just go to Wadfree? Oh, correct, yes. So. Amazon does take a large percentage of, of small businesses' sales. So, yeah, shopping direct is always best. And you get the same price. Actually, you'll get a better deal if you shop direct from me and free shipping, better service. Cindy Bray is the creator of Wad Free for bed sheets and blankets and duvets, wadfree.com. Well, congratulations. Fun story and a great story. Cindy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me.